Welcome to Smarticus History. All right, enough with the echo and fanfare. You're here for history, right? And not that boring crap you learned in high school. This stuff's actually interesting. Like things you've never heard about the Civil War, Cleopatra, automobiles, Monopoly, the Black Plague, and more. Fascinating stories, interesting topics, and some downright weird facts from the past. It's a new twist on some stories you may know, and an interesting look at some things you may have never heard. So, grab a beer, kick back, and enjoy. Here's your host, Smarticus. Welcome back to another episode of Smarticus Tells History. I think I've got a really good one for you this week. You're probably familiar with the great fires that destroyed London, New York City, and Chicago at different points throughout history. But I'd bet you haven't heard of the Dublin Whiskey Fire. Ireland has a long and complicated relationship with alcohol. Irish whiskey is one of Europe's earliest distilled beverages, dating back to 1405, 90 years before it was ever recorded in Scotland. What started as a scattered local pastime developed into a national industry in 1608, when Northern Ireland's old Bushmills Distillery became the world's first licensed whiskey distillery. Whiskey wasn't Ireland's only drink. The Emerald's Isle fertile soil, reliable rain, and cool weather made it an ideal spot for growing barley. Irish monks produced ale without hops, flavored with herbs, and called it liquid bread. The iconic red brew caught on, and by the 18th century, women called alewives commercialized the operation, churning out pint after pint. Then a man named Arthur Guinness bought a small brewery, and the rest is, well, history. Today, Ireland is home to dozens of companies that produce alcohol most people recognize on site. Jameson, Tullamore Dew, Bushmills, Beamish, Guinness, Bulmers, Smithwick's, and Murphy's, just to name a few. Alcohol has been closely tied to Irish traditions for centuries, from wetting the baby's head to raising a glass at a wake. It's part of daily life, too. Drinking is how many Irish socialize, and the local pub is often the heart of a community. There are over 750 pubs in Dublin, from the touristy Temple Bar to the Chick Peruque and Periwig. As we all know, Ireland has long been the subject of stereotypes and jokes about alcohol abuse. The reputation of the Irish as an ever-inebriated people is spread through the presence of Irish-themed pubs and bars all over the world. In reality, those stereotypes were built not by the Irish, but by the British, who used critical depictions of the Irish drinking habits as early as the 16th century to justify the attempted colonization of what they believed were uncivilized people. The truth is that the Irish drank no more than any other European people, and the temperance movement of the late 1800s swept through Ireland just as fervently as other places. Eventually, the long-held stigmas and stereotypes seem to come true of their own accord, and excessive alcohol consumption has almost tripled in Ireland since 1960. A 2020 OECD report ranked Ireland as the fourth highest consuming nation in Europe behind Estonia, France, and Austria. Alcoholism is a public health concern in Ireland, but it makes one wonder why there are not more cartoons depicting barrette-wearing drunkards or drinking songs about the Blue Danube. False stories that spread in the 19th century of the proficiency and depravity with which the Irish drank were aided by true stories of rare and specific drinking-related follies. 
Much like today's Florida man, the Irish man of the 1800s was born of stories that teetered on the edge of truth and folklore. Stories like that of the Dublin Whiskey Fire of 1875. Around 8 o'clock in the evening, on Friday, June 18th, the ear-splitting screams of pigs alerted Dubliners on Chamber Street in the Liberties neighborhood that a fire was blazing. Liberties was a working-class area home to artisans like weavers and several large distilleries and breweries, including the Guinness Storehouse. The people of Dublin, like city dwellers everywhere, lived in constant fear of conflagration. An errant ember from an untended fireplace or a dropped gas lamp could spell the destruction for an entire neighborhood or more. The Great Fire of London in 1966 had left over 100,000 people homeless. In New York City, a fire in 1835 leveled over 17 city blocks. The Great Chicago Fire in 1871 left over 300 dead and burned a third of the city to ashes. Dublin did have an organized fire brigade consisting of 24 men with a makeshift fire station on Wine Tavern Street in the Liberties, just over a kilometer from the Malone's Malt House, where the blaze had started. Earlier that day, all 5,000 barrels of whiskey and other spirit at the Malt House were checked and accounted for. But hours later, a fire burned, spreading rapidly and bursting open wooden casks of liquor, creating a burning river of fire in the streets. The booze set fire to everything it touched, and the flame spread so quickly it looked to everyone as though this could be the end of the Liberties as they knew it. The fire brigade arrived in less than 15 minutes under the command of Captain James Robert Ingram. Ingram had been a fire officer in New York City and was well known for his unconventional approach to containing fires. Ingram was aware that water would do nothing to stop the spread of this fire, whiskey would float atop it and spread through the city. Thinking on his feet, he called for soldiers to pull up paving stones and pour a mixture of sand and gravel on the whiskey. It was effective, but there simply wasn't enough. He turned to a material more readily available, horse manure. Ingram ordered that as much manure as possible should be collected and delivered to the Liberties, where it was shoveled onto the streets to form dams. Ingram and his men waited with bated breaths as they watched the burning whiskey meet the damp manure. It was slowly absorbed and fire began to subside. Across the city, on a corner of Bow Street, 21-year-old William Smith chatted with his neighbor, John McCrane, about the rumors of fire in the Liberties. In a case of curiosity winning out over fear, the two men decided to take a walk that would bring them within viewing distance of the Inferno. Around 10 o'clock, they set off toward the Liberties as if there was nothing more natural than a Friday night stroll to see a whiskey-fueled fire. By this time, the flow of fire was two feet wide, six inches deep, and stretched for more than 400 meters down one side of Mill Street as the fire brigade and soldiers built manure dams to contain it. It seemed inevitable that the fire would flow to both the Coombe Maternity Hospital and the Carmelite Convent on Ormond Street. At the last moment, a change in the wind turned the tide, and the nuns cried their thanks to the heavens for the miracle. It was this scene that William Smith stumbled upon and joined in when he and McGrain reached the blaze. According to the Illustrated London Times, crowds of people assembled and took off their hats and boots to collect the whiskey, which ran in streams along the streets. 
That's right, instead of joining the other throngs of fleeing folk and livestock, a number of Dubliners used the fire as an opportunity to imbibe for free. Saucepans were hurried out of houses, lunch pails were repurposed, and those with nothing else on hand used their hats and shoes. The Irish Times reported on June 21st that caps, porringers, and other vessels were in great requisition to scoop up the liquor as it flowed from the burning premises, and disgusting as it may seem, some fellows were observed to take off their boots and use them as drinking cups. Eventually, the Dublin Fire Brigade triumphed in extinguishing the fire, but the disaster was not quite over. As reported in the Illustrated London Times, Four persons have died in the hospital from the effects of drinking the whiskey, which was burning hot as it flowed. Two corn parters, named Healy and McNulty, were found in a lane off Cork Street, lying insensible with their boots off, which they had evidently used to collect the liquor. There are many other persons in the hospital who are suffering from the same cause. Two boys are reported to be dying, and it is feared that other deaths will follow. The Dublin Whiskey Fire was one of the most destructive in the history of the city. Lord Mayor Peter Paul McSweeney established a fund to raise money for those who had lost their homes and furniture. Eight men were carried unconscious to Meath Hospital, another 12 to Jervis Street Hospital, three to Stevens Hospital, and one to Mercer's Hospital. By the time the literal and figural smoke had cleared, 13 people had died. No one perished in the flames or passed away from smoke inhalation. Not even from injuries caused by the confused masses. No. All 13 died of alcohol poisoning. On Tuesday, June 22nd, James Smith spoke at his son's Williams inquest to confirm he was a laborer, unmarried at the time of his death. McGrain described how William had drunk from the flow of whiskey near the coombe. Scooping it up with his cupped hands, he drank a great deal. What I drank was out of a jug. Nearly everyone was drinking it. The deceased suddenly fell down and became insensible. Two men, strangers, helped me bring William part of the way home as far as Meath Street. We then met some other men, neighbors, who helped to bring him the rest of the way. William reached his bed with help shortly before midnight just mere hours after deciding to take a walk to check on the fire. The next morning, he was brought to Richmond Hospital in a profound coma. And though William improved slightly during treatment, even regaining consciousness, he died on Sunday night as a result of alcohol poisoning. News of the Dublin Whiskey Fire spread like, well, fire. And while many were eager to seize on the deaths as further proof of the Irish's inability to abstain from drinking, Mayor McSweeney was not surprised. At a meeting the following Monday, he stated that he believed the overdose deaths would have happened in any city where there was a tendency to indulge immoderately and drink. And I do have to agree. It is hard to imagine many places, even today, where a crowd of working-class people on a Friday evening would abstain from partaking in a river of freely flowing liquor. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Smarticus Tales History. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash History. If you're interested in helping our podcast grow, please consider donating to the show on PayPal. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can do so with ease on Buzzsprout. Thanks for listening to Smarticus Tells History. If you enjoyed this episode, 
Don't forget to rate and review and make sure to subscribe. And be sure to follow the show at facebook.com slash history, or just click the link in the show description. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.